sets it a little bit to the left. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks a hole. Williams had a record book. Ricky Williams runs to the Hall of Fame. Touchback. Ricky Williams touchdown. Young from the shotgun. Back to throw. Vince looks under pressure. He'll tuck it in run. Vince to the five. Young. Touchdown, Texas. Touchdown, Vince Young. He's done it again. Longhorn Nation, we're back! Hello and welcome into another edition of the Longhorns Country Podcast. My name is Matt Galatson and I will be your host. And today I am joined as always by my co-host, John Garcia. He is a national recruiting analyst for Sports Illustrated and knows just about everything there is to know on the recruiting trail that there is in college football. John, how's it going? It's going good. We are... uh... We're kind of in the home stretch. I mean, it was, it was weird uh, previewing some stuff this week. Um, you, you, I don't know. It just feels like the season's flying by all of a sudden, and we're already, you know, closing in on on the conference title races and all that stuff. I just, I'm feeling old because it caught me off guard very quickly uh, this morning. But here we are. Yeah, and it's it's week nine coming up, which is which is crazy. I feel like we just started, but. Uh, you know, Texas is coming off a bye week. Um, they had two really disappointing losses in a row. Oklahoma, obviously, they blew that 28 to 7 lead, ended up losing, what was it 53 to 48, something like that. I can't even remember the score now. It's it's uh it's been a couple of weeks in my mind it shifted. Uh Texas then blew a lead to Oklahoma State. I think they were up 21 to 7 in that game. Um, two double-digit leads to both Oklahoma schools. And now they find themselves coming out of the bye week, trying to fix everything um, that went wrong. Steve Sarkeesian talked about their psyche, uh, said that that's, that was their main focus during the week. That's fine. But what are some things that you notice specifically about Texas on either side of the ball? We can start on offense if you want, that you think that they really needed to work on going into the bye. Well, look, everything having to do with number five and getting him the ball is is kind of working, right? Bijan Robinson, even if Texas drops another game or two here in the regular season, to me, still a, a Heisman candidate. Give him the ball, throw him the ball. I mean, let him take the snap. Whatever it is, uh, Bijan has the goods. And I actually like how they continue to emphasize him in the passing game. But elsewhere in that offense, obviously, there there are issues I think with Casey Thompson, we still see so much good, right? Completing 65% of his passes. We know about his ability to run the football or at least scramble and buy time for his wide receivers down the field. A lot of Texas's big plays in these losses were, were a little bit of improv from Thompson. So you do need that. And he does display that, but on the two big picks, obviously against Oklahoma state, one of them, really changed the entire feel of the game. It it was 17 to three second quarter. Texas is going in for at least three more points. Right. And boom, uh, pick six from Jason Taylor locked in on that primary read Casey was. So the underneath zone defender shifted towards his outside and and made what'll be the easiest pick six of his career. And then the final interception was, Game on the line. Same thing. Facing a zone scheme, 
locked in on that first read. It was a high-low concept. And in the cover two look, that corner is looking at the quarterback the entire time, jam and sink technique. He sinks all the way underneath for, for another easy interception. And that kind of wraps up the game. Uh, again, Thompson, from for my money, never came off of that initial read. So I'm sure Sark and, and the guys are going through a lot of progression stuff this week or last week with Casey, uh, because a lot of the other stuff is good. The RPO stuff is good. The quick hitters are good. And again, off script, he's been more good than bad from what I've seen. So I think progression reading and the consistency of even if you're going to your primary, um, not locking in and staying in on that process, that player so early, I think will benefit him. So just little things. Uh, again, all that comes with experience, right? This is not even though he's been there several years, this is not a guy with a ton of, of starting or even playing experience. So some of those are, are somewhat to be expected. But um, twice in the same game is tough, especially when they were really the two critical mistakes that, that changed that game. Um, the offensive line, I thought, has, has been playing pretty well, um, especially in the run game, as we've mentioned. Um, everybody knows Robinson is the focus. So um, – Developing more pass catchers, I think, is going to be important as well. Um, Worthy's the big play guy. Uh, I think Josh Moore has been solid, but but who's who's that that number three, right? Whittington's dealing with injury. Who, who's that other? Is it a big body? Is it a tight end? Who's that other pass catcher that can help keep a defense honest and and not so locked in on number five like we all are when we watch Texas play? So offensively, that's kind of where I'm at, and and defensively. Look, we talked about Okie State going into that game, Matt, and we like the running game, um, but we were really talking about that that OSU defense more so than anything. And all of a sudden, the Cowboys ran wild, uh, especially after the game got close again. So um, they were they were very vulnerable when it was seventeen to three offensively. Texas was getting stops, picks, everything was rolling in UT's favor. But once that gap got narrowed, which basically happened on that pick six, now they were able to, to go to their ground game. And even when Texas knew it was coming, they, they really couldn't stop it. And that included in the fourth quarter when it was time to run the ball out. So, or run the clock out, I should say. So I think the front seven still has work to be done. Um, I know there, there are some veterans there. There have been some injuries there, of course, uh, but I, I think the secondary after the Oklahoma craziness seemed to be resettled against uh, Oklahoma State, which was really encouraging because uh, going into that game, you thought there could be some some more vulnerabilities there with the secondary. But I thought they actually played well um, in that game. Yeah, I, I was I was actually pleasantly surprised by what the Texas defense was able to do in that game, um, almost from start to finish. I mean, you're right they they, they had some some holes at the end there, but I think part of that kind of goes back to the psyche of what, of what Steve Sarkeesian was talking about. You know um, it seems like when things start to, to tumble and they don't start to not go Texas's way. Um, and this was the opposite of what happened against TCU, which is why it's a little bit more surprising, but the last couple of games against Oklahoma and Oklahoma state, when things have started trending in the wrong direction, it's like every, all the players sort of tensed up and they got tight. And they started missing tackles and missing assignments. And it was, it was happening on the offensive side of the ball too. But when that kind of stuff starts to happen, um, there needs to be a, a shift. And that's why the, 
I think the bye week came at the perfect time. Uh, they need to kind of, you know, recharge their batteries, reassess what they're doing, kind of get their confidence back. And I, I think that no matter what happens going forward, I still think they're on the right track. They have, as we'll talk about in a minute, they have a pretty decent gauntlet coming up uh, to close out the season. And it, it's kind of, <clears throat> I wrote about this earlier in the week on longhornscountry.com. It's it's sort of a an inflection point for the season for Texas. Um, and, and that'll start, quite honestly, on the defensive side of the ball. They've been very inconsistent. Um, I'm sure it didn't help last week that DeMarvion Overshone was injured with a concussion early in the game. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of things that have to fix. They're still pretty loose in pass coverage at times, and Spencer Sanders wasn't exactly the type of quarterback that could take advantage of that. Uh, Caleb Williams was, though, so and you, and you saw quite a bit of that. So those are just some things that they have to work on going forward. I think it's both from a micro perspective, like you talked about, and a macro perspective, like I talked about, there's just so many different things that they have to keep straight. And that's sort of what happens when you're in the first – year under a new coaching staff it's and as again we'll talk about in a minute with Dave Aranda at Baylor it's the first season is where you're still trying to figure things out and learn and get your system together and get your kids to buy in and and trust you and then when you get to that second season if you're doing those things the right way things start to take off and I think that's kind of where Texas is in the middle of right now and I think that's fine I mean Nick Saban went seven and six in Alabama in his first season so I don't think there's any cause for Texas fans to panic, um, but we'll move on to the next the next subject here, and that is their next game, which is Baylor. Um, Baylor is ranked number 16 in the country right now. They're six and one. They were two and seven last year, and in the you know the COVID shortened schedule. Uh, now they're six and one, and they look like a very very good team, and very different from the Baylor teams that we're used to seeing in the past under Art Bryles and, and Matt Rule. So uh, tell us what you know about Baylor and and what sort of jumps off the page about them to you. Baylor, Matt, has, and Texas fans won't like this, Baylor kind of has the look and feel of Arkansas in terms of what they want to do and what they're very good at. I think the difference is they're a little bit more athletic on defense and Aranda is always incredibly aggressive. Uh, So their scheme uh, plays into those athletic strengths with the bears, but um, they're not just a defensive team. You know, this Jerry Bohannon has kind of come of age here. Um, 12 TDs, just one pick so far. And, and everybody gets carries. This is where it feels like Arkansas, right? Yeah. You know, Smith is the lead guy, uh, Abram Smith. But then you got Ebner Bohannon obviously runs the football as well. I mean, there's there's waves of, of players coming at you in the running game. And they've got some talent on the outside uh, that can that can take it over the top uh, with with Tyquan Thornton in particular, um, the Floridian, who I know very well. So this is this is Arkansas ish just in terms of what you're going to see. Uh, run-pass ratio, trying to be balanced and physical, all of that on offense, and then defensively, uber-athletic, uber-aggressive, and attacking. So if you're Texas, you know, start getting creative with some of these play calls. Of course, your line has to hold up, but, you know, the screen game, misdirection, anything that is a little bit off of the path, 
I think could have some success against Baylor, but they've been able to clamp down some really interesting offenses. And, and that last game, I thought they were, they are coming off a bye as well, of course, but I thought that West Virginia game was kind of their trap game, right? Because Baylor had been rolling uh, before that point, uh, pulled off some really big um, upsets. You know, they, they had beat Iowa State when uh, most people thought Iowa State was was the better school. And then they had that that tough one with, with Okie State. So I don't know. I thought that could be maybe a trend down, like a trap trend down, if that makes sense. Um, and that was not the case. They destroyed a, a good West Virginia offense. Um, not a good team, but a good West Virginia offense. And then obviously the Baylor offense you know, put up a ton of points on their own end. So I thought that was was really telling and almost surprising to me just because of, of you know, hey, it's Baylor, right? You're, you're, your concept of the Bears says, oh, they lost – they lost a close one. Now that that fun kind of darling of the Big 12 start is going to change. And, and they certainly went against that and, and bounced back um, in, in a really, really strong way. So I thought the way that their defense played against West Virginia was was really impressive and, and reemphasizes all these points. And again, that was before they headed into their own bye week. Yeah, and, and you know, you look at, at Baylor and, and typically when you think of Baylor and this is, you know, this sort of dates back to the Art Bryles days and um, and a little bit of Matt Rule, but mostly Art Bryles with the air raid stuff and and people see Baylor, or casual college football fan will see Baylor and think, oh, they're you know high flying offense, their defense is going to be terrible um, and those kinds of things. But as you talked about that under Dave Aranda, it is completely different. Um, they run the football, they hammer you, and they play really good defense. They're number thirty three ranked defense defense in the country uh 47th against the run 29th against the pass so very balanced there number 19 ranked scoring defense so they don't give up a lot of points um they're ranked 10th in the or ninth in the country in turnover margin you know their red zone defense is probably their biggest weakness uh that and fourth down defense where they're you know in, in the hundreds nationally there so baylor is going to be tough it's this is not the, the type of trip to Waco that, that people are going to be used to seeing um, in this, in this game. And I think that's a problem. I, I Texas has had their problems with, with these better defenses, you know, Arkansas being one earlier in the season. I think that that defense has kind of fallen off a little bit, but it's, it's still solid and Oklahoma state and, and the common denominator there is pretty good athletic defensive lines. And given the way that Texas has sort of um, been inconsistent on the offensive line, I, I think that could be a big issue. And, and, and Sark, you know, sort of halfway admitted a little bit, like he, he sort of hinted at the fact that he was um, getting a little stale with his play calling in the second half. He didn't say why. He didn't say whether it was because he was trying to protect the lead or because or anything else. He just he basically hinted at the fact that they weren't being creative enough in the second half on offense, and that was causing some of these second half leads to dwindle. And you know he's right. I mean, against Oklahoma, they had less than 100 yards, I believe, for the majority of the second half. Uh, against Oklahoma State, I think they had 12 yards in the second half of total offense. 
So that's one of the things that you're going to have to look for is for Texas to try to get more creative, like you said. But also that that matchup between the offensive and the defensive lines are critical for, for the Texas offensive line and, and the Baylor defensive line because that is, in my opinion, Texas's biggest weakness by far. It's very inconsistent. It's, it's you know, Denzel Okafor being out doesn't help. But what are some of the things that they can do to sort of not fix it because that's hard because at this point of the season, you are, you are, but what can they do to sort of put a bandaid on it and get to the, get to the off season? Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with, with the, the play design and play calling, you know, your strengths right now are more skill-based. Um, so get those linemen on the move. You know, every lineman still likes to run block and still likes to get out in space and have a, an opportunity, you know, to make a play against maybe a smaller Defender. So I think you play a little bit wider football. Um, I think it could help you um, be a little bit safer. You know, the turnover margin has not been kind to Texas of late. And Baylor is a very opportunistic defense and, and they protect the football on offense. So turnover margin in this game, just like in every game, is going to be big. So I think you play safer. You can use that horizontal passing game as an extension of the run game, um, and not just with Bijan. I think you can do it with tight ends. I think you can do it with slot receivers um, and the like. So I think that can slow down a pass rush because they're just, you know, they're they're still kids, right? And they're seeing something go left and right more than maybe they're used to. Um, I, I think that could be something that, that protects a reshuffled, once again, offensive line. Um, and, and again, just getting the ball in your playmaker's hands uh, that much sooner. You're eliminating the need for, for Casey Thompson to have to go through progression that much more. You're eliminating all of that if, if you can play a little bit more of a quick game. And, and as you mentioned, the, the red zone defense thing is interesting to me with Baylor. What that tells me is that they don't change their style in the red zone. Most teams do some kind of adjustments once they get you know, backed up into, let's let's call it the 10-yard line and in. Now most teams are playing a lot of zone. Most teams are playing things a little bit more black and white. Um, them not being as successful in the red zone tells me that they stick to that aggressive script regardless of down and distance and field positioning, which, again, over aggression, you know, there are plenty of counters to that. Now, when you're wrong, it's going to look really bad if you're Texas, uh, but when you're right, it'll look extremely pretty like a lot of uh, Sark's play calls already do. So I think those, those things can all be in play. And, and if Texas gets down there, really curious to see if Baylor, again, coming off their own bye week, now do they start to soften up a little bit down there to protect the end zone uh, and, and kind of be content to give up field goals, you know, because we, we, we expect, I mean, at least I expect, I expect Texas to score almost, independent of, of opponent. Um, so in that light, I'm, I'm curious to see how Baylor approaches it defensively when Texas does move the football, because I think over aggression down there could be part of the reason why their numbers are so good everywhere else, but not necessarily when teams get close. Yeah. And look, it, it's going to be sort of a crapshoot with, with Texas because, you know, as, as we've seen in the first half of these games, uh, ever since Arkansas in the first half of these games, they've been able to score with anybody and put up a bunch of points in the second half. It kind of falls apart. Um, 
so that, that'll be interesting to watch. I mean, the, the one other thing that I, I want to talk about briefly before we move on is I want to focus a little bit more on the rushing attack for Baylor because it's the ninth ranked rushing offense in the country. They average 238.3 <laughs> yards per game. It's very good. And they do it from a lot of different ways. And Texas has the 115th ranked rushing defense in the country. So that's a problem in itself. Um, what, what can, what can Texas do to sort of, again, put a bandaid on something that at this point in the season, you kind of are what you are. I mean, they, they last week against Oklahoma state, they sort of, they sort of shifted their look a little bit on defense to more of a three, four style thing. Um, it wasn't, you know, totally static as a three, four. I mean, it, 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 it was, it was still multiple, but they went to more of those looks to try to, uh, get a little bit more upfield rush and get a little more pressure on the quarterback. That kind of worked for a little while, but the, the run defense was still a problem. What do you do to fix that at this point in the season? You know, I think a three, four is always going to be, or, or mostly three, four look is always going to be a little bit more controlling against the run. Right. I mean, that's, that's what it's, it's pretty much in there for, uh, in my opinion, you want more people in the box. You're 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 committing to a seven man box, pretty much off rip, right? Regardless of formation and personnel, if you're in in a three four look, you're committing to that seven man box, which is in, in today's game more of a um, of a pass first box, right? Usually six is the number that you're kind of focused on as a quarterback, and and on those RPOs, if the number is six, you run the ball. If it's seven or more, obviously you, you throw the ball. Um, so if if that is the plan uh, for Texas, you do have more creativity with that kind of look because the Baylor run game is not um, I don't want to say it's not sexy or exotic. Again, we think of Baylor, we think of RG3 and this wide openness, but they're not doing those things anymore. Um, so I think when you have those those back four, those linebackers, you can utilize them a little bit more, move them around, particularly the guys on the edge. Do you stand them up? Do you move them inside? Do you rush from a wider angle to contain the quarterback? Again, Bohannon is plenty mobile and they'll utilize him in the run game as well. Um, or do you kind of play more conventional and tight and force things horizontally because you have more tacklers coming downhill um, in a four linebacker look? So I, I do think that the defense does at least pre-snap line up well uh, against a, a team that wants to run the football. Um, but again, as, as the case is with any defense against any offense, you've got to disguise your looks. You've got to mix them up, uh, but you can't disguise out of your responsibility. Um, so I think those rules still apply against a Baylor. Uh, again, Bohannon has gained this confidence to where – he could check out of, of more things, um, but I, I think for the most part, uh, he's going to be uh, pretty straightforward with the play call, and they're going to come downhill at you. So I, I think that could play into a 3-4 strength. But again, those guys, that, those nose tackles and, and three techs have to play uh, proper technique and occupy blockers because if not, then the linebackers aren't freed up, and then obviously it's uh, a big play is ahead. But uh, again, Baylor's going to come downhill at you. Um, there's going to be a lot of pistol. There's going to be some RPO. 
uh, a lot of single back stuff as well. Uh, so it's just a matter of, of stopping what you kind of know is already coming with, um, with Smith um, and Ebner and those guys. All right. So before we, before we move on to uh, completely shifting into another topic, Texas goes into this game. And this is also why I called it sort of an inflection point in my story earlier this week is Texas goes into this week um, quite literally on the edge of their season falling one way or the other. Um, either they can get it together and they can go on a run and they can make a push for the big 12 title game. They'll have to get some help along the way. Um, you know, obviously they sit behind Baylor. They sit behind uh, Oklahoma state who almost had a clear path. I mean, they, they controlled their own destiny and then they went and they dropped that game this past weekend at Iowa state. Um, and then, you know, uh, they still have – so they have Baylor this week in Waco. Then they travel to Ames to play Iowa State. And then I think they have Kansas. And then they come back and have Kansas State and West Virginia – or sorry, West Virginia and then Kansas State. So that is a tough – that is a gauntlet. Um, I know it's the Big 12, and not everybody thinks it's the Big 12 is a tough place to play <laughs> from the outside looking in, but it is a gauntlet. Um, especially these next two weeks, going on the road to Waco – going on the road to, to, to Ames to play Iowa State. Everybody gets up to play Texas. It doesn't matter if they're 6-1. and one, doesn't matter if they're 4-3. and three, doesn't matter if they're 0-7. It doesn't matter. Texas comes to town. Everybody gets up for it. Is there a way that Texas, Texas can navigate this schedule and make a push? Or do you see it as more of a scenario where, you know, they go into the, the I guess, the back half, the two final games of the season, uh, which would be West Virginia and Kansas State, do they go into those games still hoping for bowl eligibility? Oh, oh, interesting. I, I didn't expect it to, <laughs> to go there. Look, I mean, obviously, <clears throat> if we're talking Big 12 title game, I don't think a team with more than two losses is going to slide in. And obviously Texas is at two losses at the moment. So I do think that, you know, you would obviously have to win out to have a shot at getting there. And in doing so, you would create a tiebreaker winning scenario over Iowa State and Baylor, which are obviously two of the four teams in conference that are ahead of you at the moment. So you would gain two of those tiebreakers. So then it would basically come down to OU, Texas, and Oklahoma State. You know, hey, the Pokes got Bedlam ahead. We all know that. But, of course, Okie State has the tiebreaker over Texas. So you would need Okie State to fall again elsewhere um, to, to make it to the title game. So that, that that's a pretty tough path, even if you do win out. Um, but I, I don't think bowl eligibility should be a concern. We, we mentioned – West Virginia come preseason. I, I was kind of high on West Virginia. I thought they were kind of a sneaky big 12 pick uh, for, to contend. Uh, I was on board with that offense. And, and for the most part, that offense has been really good. The problem is their defense has been horrible the entire year. Uh, so hence the um, whatever their record is three and four. I, I know they've lost more than they've won. Um, so 
obviously a winnable game there for Texas. Kansas State is more a thorn in, in OU's side at this point, and they're kind of a shell of themselves too, right? They've dealt with a ton of injury problems uh, with Skylar Thompson. Even Deuce Vaughn hasn't been the same guy in 2021. Uh, so I think bowl eligibility is is a stretch in terms of worrying about it. Uh, I think on the conservative side, it tells you you got to split these next two games, right? Baylor uh, on the road will not be easy. We just kind of laid out um, all of the reasons why. And then Iowa State, you know, you kind of don't know what you're going to get with the Cyclones. Um, that Baylor game – they lost it like five times, it felt like, um, in the Iowa game. Same thing. It's like every time that they've been in a big game, they've fallen short. And and until people were overlooking them this past week, and then they get a top 10 win because that's what Matt Campbell does. So I think splitting Baylor and Iowa State in terms of one win, one loss is very doable. And to me, that would ensure ball eligibility to, to get to the six wins, um, which is obviously the more likely scenario than um, getting to the Big 12 title game. But in that conference, man, you, you never say never. Um, it, stranger things I feel like have happened, although I don't have the numbers in front of me. Uh, Oklahoma certainly is undefeated, but it's the weirdest 8-0 uh, in the country right now. And, um, and again, this Baylor thing, you know, we'll, we'll find out a lot more on Saturday, but it just feels like they're overachieving. And that's the mark of a good coach. That's the mark of a culture. That's the mark of a program that has steadily risen since that the on and off the field basement that they had to deal with however many years ago. Um, but still, I, I don't know, maybe it's the logo, maybe I'm biased, but I still expect Baylor to um, to not make it to the title game. For, for whatever reason. I like the offense. I like the defense. I like the progression of Bohan and all of these things. I like Aranda and, you know, maybe he gets distracted by being a candidate at LSU or something, but I would, I would say Baylor doesn't finds a way to not get there at the end of the day. That's just my, my stupid gut and nothing analytical, but it is what it is. It's, it's funny you say that because I was literally thinking that last night when, um, when I was kind of putting together one of our, our season previews for longhornscountry.com, what they do is what Baylor is, is <laughs> and I, I hate saying this because I, I went to Ole Miss and I'm an Ole Miss grad and my, one of my best friends is a Baylor grad. So we always go back and forth about Baylor and Ole Miss, but Baylor sort of is the mirror image of Ole Miss in the big 12. Like they get to a certain point and then they always find a way to blow it. And and usually in some sort of embarrassing way. So I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of on your uh, on your wavelength there, where I think they're just going to somehow find a way to screw it up and not get there. Um, as for Oklahoma State, you know they they've got Kansas this weekend, and then things could get a little dicey for them if they're not careful. Um, you know they they head to West Virginia, which is never an easy place to play. Uh, then they have TCU. Granted, Gary Patterson is for some reason turned into Tony Soprano's mom uh, over, the, over the last few months. Um, and then they they go to Texas tech who just fired Matt Wells. Um, that's an interesting conversation there. I don't know if we'll get that to the, get to that today or not. We've already been going for a while, but maybe we'll save that for later. Uh, and then they, they have bedlam. So 
if Texas can just win their games the rest of the way, I think they'll be in pretty good shape because, as we just mentioned, Baylor will find some way to screw it up, I'm sure. Um, And then Oklahoma State still has some tough ones to go. Uh, I do think that they will lose to Oklahoma, so it's just a matter of finding another loss in those other four games. And um, as as we know, anything can happen in the Big 12 on on any given week, so that should be interesting. Um, So let's pause there. I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to break real quick. We're going to pay some bills and then we'll come back on the other side and we'll talk a little bit of recruiting and Arch Manning and that kind of thing. Okay. We're back. Um, And John, obviously, you know, we, we talked the first good bit of time here about what's coming up this weekend and and what Texas needs to do for this season. Um, Let's talk a little recruiting. Let's talk, Specifically, I think the, the person who everybody's been talking about over the last few weeks, Arch Manning. Weeks. Um, well, you know, he's been on his visit train, so <laughs> he's, he's been the subject of, of pretty much every broadcast um, over the last few weeks. And he will continue to be until he commits whenever that happens. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, so he's gone from Georgia to Alabama, to Texas, and then to Ole Miss this past weekend. And now he's got Clemson this weekend. You wrote a story for SI National about his recruitment um, and sort of where he sits and what he's feeling about his his decision timeline and those kinds of things. Um, why don't we – after his visits, why don't you give us your breakdown of where you think this thing sort of sits right now, just on off of your judgment, and then kind of give everybody a sense of when they can expect this thing to start to wind down and um, what they can expect going forward. Yeah, I think I'll start there, Matt. Um, after Arch's game on TV Friday, um, our buddy Glenn West was there and was able to get us uh, a one-on-one with Arch. And he's tired. Um, I think, you know, when, when you talk about doing Zooms and FaceTimes, like every prospect had to do in this COVID deal, it was easy, right? Because you're just on the phone, you're at your house, and then as soon as it's over, you continue doing whatever it is that you're doing. In, in his case, probably watching film or playing 2K or something like that. Well, now you're flying and you're the center. I mean, the center of recruiting attention everywhere you go. Um, And then you you mentioned all the visits that adds up. So Arch is tired. He said as much, basically, that he wanted to focus on his guys. You know, um, Isidore Newman has lost their last two games. I know nobody cares, but they've lost their last two games and they're, they're not playing well. They threw two picks on Friday night. And he wants to get things back on track ahead of, of a playoff push. So um, I think the combination of so much attention and the visits and all of that is, is kind of wearing on the kid. It, again, because of COVID, it's not like anybody did that in 2020, uh, including him. So that's going to, I think, create a pause in this recruitment. Um, and, and it lines up with his visits. You mentioned it, Clemson, this weekend. And that's kind of it. I think he wants to, in November, December, kind of just chill. 
and and allow the dust to settle. And I think that's very manning of of the whole crew involved with this kid, right? Um, they know the coaching carousel is going to be crazy this year. We see more and more jobs open sooner. We just talked about briefly uh, Texas Tech opening up their gig. All these great jobs are open, including schools that Arch is looking at, like LSU. So they're going to let all that dust settle. And it doesn't just start at the top of head coaches. Obviously, assistant coaches at some of these schools could potentially be um, – up for grabs, especially, you know, schools that are doing well on the field, right? That's what we normally see. So Alabama, uh, Georgia, certainly in, in the arch sweepstakes, uh, they could they could be poached for assistance. They will be poached. I mean, let's not say they could be. It happens every year. So they're going to let all that dust settle. And Arch all but confirmed the plan is to make a decision in 2022. And that is massive in this recruitment. Because when we first started talking on these pods, Matt, we were thinking the opposite take some visits in the summer, which he did, right? He hit some camps, all these same schools we're talking about. Evaluate, make the commitment and be done with the noise. You're a committed prospect. Your, your, your RPMs go down when you're a committed prospect. Less people are calling you and wanting to talk to you. And it would actually become more about Arch Manning's Friday nights instead of where he might play on Saturdays. Um, that's what we thought. Make the decision preseason, boom, you're done with it. Well, there's no middle ground if you don't want all of that attention, but you also want to make a good decision. So naturally, they're going to go with the latter and make a decision at the earliest in spring of 2022. But Arch mentioned the summer as well. So I think not only is the dust going to settle, I think, or not only is the coaching dust going to settle, I should say, I think a lot of the portal dust is going to settle. If there's one position where kids look ahead a year or two, it is quarterback. If you're, let's say, school X, and you get a good, capable quarterback, let's say like a Hudson card to, to, to round it back to Texas here, you get a Hudson card and he wins your job. And now it looks like he's the guy for two plus years. That's not only going to affect quarterback recruiting in 2022, but in 2023, where Arch, of course, lies in terms of the class of 23. So I think the coaching dust is going to settle in December and the portal dust is going to settle in the spring. Um, usually you get a lot of portal action with quarterbacks on the front end or on the back end. So, so by May, you kind of know, okay, you, you know what teams look like at quarterback for the most part going into the next year. And I think that's going to be very important. Uh, to Arch Manning and his camp. So him mentioning the summer, I don't think was just cliche and him saying, oh, maybe in the spring or summer. I think that was calculated. And, and I'm totally flipped on my timeline for Arch. I thought preseason 2021. Now I'm thinking preseason 2022, a full year later to make the decision. Uh, and that's the window where quarterbacks normally make their decisions anyway. It's the summer leading into their senior year of high school ball. Um, so I think that's where his timeline is at this point. In terms of the players, it's the same schools. Again, Arch wouldn't confirm any kind of list. Um, it's it's Alabama, it's Texas, it's Georgia. For me, that's kind of the top tier in this conversation. And then it gets to your Ole Miss, Clemson, LSU group of the world, if that makes sense. So uh, that's just what I'm hearing. But again, if, if we're talking about a decision in June of 2022, 
you know, the pecking order and my theoretical list of top schools and, and the tiers doesn't make a, a lot of sense. Um, and, and again, it's going to change anyway with the uh, coaching carousel. And for me, the, the portal, the quarterback portal uh, carousel that is to follow. Yeah, I think there's one of the, the players you mentioned there, Ole Miss. Um, obviously, that is sort of the, the family connection. Um, people expect them to be a player and all that stuff. But they're going to be active in the transfer portal, and there might be – I mean, well, this is pure speculation on my part, obviously. There might be one player leaving the Big 12, one or two players leaving the Big 12 that could be a factor there for, for Ole Miss in, in terms of a quarterback. Um, you may have heard of one of them. He uh, he got benched in the Texas OU game. Um, whether or not they are a player for Arch or another player – in the 2022 class, I promise we won't turn this into an Ole Miss podcast. They're going to be looking to fill something in the portal. So if they sign, let's say a good quarterback in 2022 at, at the, at the, um, the early signing period, and then they get a transfer of, of say someone like Spencer Rattler, or one of the guys from Ohio state, that's probably going to going to transfer or something like that all of a sudden they're pretty set up for the next couple of years. And that could also end up playing a factor in what happens there. So um, there's a lot to all this stuff. There's, there's, there's so much going on with quarterbacks. It's, it's the, uh, it's the, the straw that stirs recruiting. Once the quarterbacks get settled, then everything else falls into place. Um, and, and John, the, the last thing I want to talk about, uh, actually there's one other thing I wanted to say about that. Sorry, I'll go back for one second. Um, Arch's recruitment, and they're two totally different things, and he didn't have the national attention, but in terms of what was happening for, for him during the year and, you know, like on the field and getting tired of all this, all the recruiting and stuff and, and wanting to focus on his high school team, his recruitment honestly reminds me a lot of Matthew Stafford's at Highland park back in the, I mean, obviously recruiting wasn't exactly the same thing back then that it is now it wasn't the same monster, but it was still a big deal. His junior season, which was my senior year at Highland park. Um, he was going to, you know, going on visits and, and, and doing the whole, the whole thing that Arch is doing and, and the, the product suffered on the field. Um, it was very evident, you know, it, Things were a little bit more chaotic. They weren't winning as many games as they were used to winning, and they got they had a first-round exit in the playoffs. And it was sort of a chaotic year. And then once he got done with all of that, he was able to focus on nothing. He made his commitment in the summer to Georgia that summer over Texas, actually. And then that fall, he was able to focus squarely on being there and being focused on uh, the product on the field, and then they ended up going undefeated and winning a state championship. So I kind of see some similarities there, and it's pretty interesting to me. Um, but let's close out with this. Um, Texas obviously had that big recruiting weekend with Oklahoma State. They had Evan Stewart and Arch obviously was there and, and a whole bunch of other guys. that we, you know, we kind of previewed that um, going into that game. But Texas did not perform well on the field. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of people saying things like, 
oh, you know, you know, that, that that's it. We're not getting arch because we lost that game or, oh, you know, you know, Evan Stewart, he's, he, he doesn't want to play for that offense after what he saw. I can't begin to stress enough how much the result of that game did not matter to those kids. You can, you can tell me if I'm wrong. This is my personal opinion. When, when they see a team that they're interested in struggling on the field, especially if it's very easy to point out where those struggles are coming from, they see that as an opportunity. They don't see that as, oh, I don't want to go play for that, for that team. They say, no, I could have caught that pass. And that's part of the coach's uh, pitch to them as well. It's like, oh, hey, you know, I don't think Devin Campbell was there this past weekend. But if Devin Campbell's there, they say, hey, Devin, if we had you at left guard on that play, we break that thing for a touchdown or, you know, Hey, Evan, if, if we have you running that route instead of Marcus Washington or whoever, we think we hit that pass and we take it for a touchdown. And the same with the defensive guys, you know, Harold Perkins, Hey, Harold, if you're on the field there, we make that stop. And I think that's very important for people to keep in mind is you can't hang on recruiting with, the results of the games on the field. I mean, yeah, they want to see their team that they're going to have a good trajectory and, and, and get better and play well, but the individual game doesn't necessarily matter to these kids. What are your thoughts on that? It's hundred percent. Right. I mean, Matt, who, who's the number one recruit on, on SI? Uh, Hunter, right? Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter. He is committed to a not very good football team. <laughs> Florida, Florida state. state. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, games, games, game to game, the scoreboard doesn't matter. Like you said, it's about the culture. It's about what you're building. It's about the trajectory and it's about them. It's at the end of the day, it's still it's still about the individual sell. And there's always something to sell. If you're riding high, if you're Georgia, you say, hey, come continue this day. If you are UConn, you say, hey, come start as a true freshman and be freshman all America and go from there. Right. You always have a sell at every position at every single school. It, it, it becomes a personalized approach to each kid. And it's not as black and white as any of us, even me, who covers it every day. It's still not as, hey, this is why he went here. And that clear cut and dry as I make it seem. Um, it is much more detailed than that. There are family connections. There are location, distance, NFL production, academics, um, culture, what your friend who went there as a regular student told you about there, what your friend's friend dealt with as a member of the football team in 2004. There's so many tangents with every school, so many data points that there's never going to be a game where it matters. And to the contrary, it matters, it matters less than zero. Tennessee recruits were excited after Tennessee fans canceled or almost canceled that game against Ole Miss. Tennessee recruits were pumped because you know what the, the sell was from the coaches? And, and it's regurgitated by the kids. The sell was, man, that's how passionate Tennessee fans are. I, I want to play in front of fans like that. So there is always, and I emphasize always, a sell to the prospect and one game will never matter unless it is something so jarring. And, and then even then there has to be a personal connection or a positional connection to a recruit for it to matter so much. Um, it's about the perception changing it, the trajectory 
and all of those things. It's not about, oh, well, you know, hey, I, um, I can't commit to Ohio State because they lost in the, in the natty to Bama and it was a blowout. So Ohio State's not ready for the big time. So they can't have me like that will never be a reason why a kid says no to Ohio State. So, uh, yes, it is. It's something we have to talk about every year, but we're getting closer to crunch time, right? Less than two months to early signing day. Always good to bring it up. It's an evergreen theory, and I have no reason to believe it's changed. Well, we're going to talk a whole lot about recruiting in the next couple of months. I have a feeling, John. Um, this is this is going to be a fun signing day. Texas still has a lot of guys on the board that they're trying to lock down. Uh, Denver Harris, Evan Stewart, Devin Campbell, you know, uh, just to name a few. Evan Brown, <laughs> hello. Uh, yeah, there's another one. There's another one. Um, so, wait, did I say Dev- Evan Stewart? Yes. I, I said – Oh, you said Devin Brown. I said, I you Devin said Devin Brown because yeah, they're still they're still on the hunt for another QB. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So <laughs> there's there's still so much going on here. So uh, and, and then you know what happens in the fall if they do get a Devin Brown? Like all, all the little things that go into it make recruiting so interesting. So uh, really looking forward to that for the rest of the year. And uh, as of right now, I believe the plan is to come back on Friday or. Maybe Thursday. We'll we'll see how it goes. Uh, to do a little preview pod of a you know shorter, more streamlined thing of Baylor. So be on the lookout for that. But uh, that's going to do it for another episode of Longhorns Country Podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and subscribe on all your favorite platforms, and make sure you check out uh, LonghornsCountry.com for all the latest analysis about Texas. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Yes, sir. We'll be back. Yes, sir. Bye. Bye. Bye.